Welcome to Chowder and Grits, the podcast for ACC and Hokies football. I'm Justin Cochola alongside Tim Hurth. Today is Thursday, October 24th. We are previewing week nine. And for you Virginia Tech fans out there, we've got a very special guest, former Hokies quarterback Michael Brewer joins the show. We kind of give a uh, overview of, of what's happened so far this year from a uh, former quarterback's viewpoint. Talk about schemes, talk about the offense, kind of what he's seeing. So uh, really good stuff. Uh, a lot of a uh, lot of good information and, you know, something to look forward to there on the bye week with no football coming up. But before we jump into the show, Tim, what's going on? Oh, you know, same old, same old, Justin. I still have uh, not emerged from the rabbit hole of the British baking show on Netflix. And I got to tell you, one, those British folks know a lot about pastries and cakes and breads, and they have many different types. And I feel like we as Americans are lacking in that category. Um, So that upsets me. Two, the thing I can't get over is pudding in Great Britain is apparently not like pudding here in the United States. And that's upsetting me because I really, really want to try a British pudding, which is something like a hybrid between a cake and a cake. Okay. I don't know. Interesting. I don't know how to describe it, Justin, but I'm just saying I want one and uh, I'm going to maybe make my own puddings at some point. Uh, so I, I I did watch an episode one night um, and it was, it. you know, it wasn't bad. Uh, but, you know, my my thing is like I've been to London a few times and I've never been impressed with the food over there. The, yeah. the British diet or palate or whatever we want to call it. Um, but I did go to this one place in like the Soho district, uh, called Chalky Wadi Duda. And it was this crazy <laughs> chocolate themed store and they had like giant chocolate sculptures and cake and chocolate coffee and hot cocoa. It was pretty crazy. So that kind of yeah. came back into my mind when I was watching the show. But yeah, I mean, from a sweet standpoint, like honestly, like, the Brits don't really do anything too special for me. You know, I think the yeah. the food options we have here in the U.S. are, are far superior. Yeah, and it's weird. Their critique of food is much different than my critique would be. Um, you know, they, they were having a round where they were making some sort of flaky pastry, and it was supposed to be a sweet pastry for a dessert kind of thing. Um, you know, they look like toaster strudels. And by the way, I haven't had a toaster strudel in 15 years, and I need to change that. Uh, let's go back to this conversation. One of the critiques from the judges was that the pastry was too sweet. I was like, clearly you're not in America, because let me tell you, the sweeter the better as far as I'm yeah, concerned. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Um, so I've got my daughter's birthday party coming up this weekend, and uh, it's going to be sweets galore here. There's going to be Cookie Monster cookies Beautiful. and an Elmo cake mm. and... All kinds of stuff. Hey, wait, hold on. Well, now you're throwing out some things I need further detail on. Are Cookie Monster cookies just chocolate chip cookies, or are you no, they're, icing uh, the face of Cookie Monster onto yeah, these things? Yeah, my, my wife, she's baking sugar cookies and then Ooh. putting icing to, to make it look like Cookie Monster. Oh, I love and it, the, man. The cake will it. be an actual Elmo coming out of the cake. Like this this will what? be like a this will be like a British baking show cake. <laughs> what? Is she making no, the cake too? No, we're we're paying okay. good money for somebody to make the cake. <laughs> well, of so. course, that's expensive. I mean, if you want the Elmo coming out of the cake, that's uh, <laughs> you know that's that's pricey, buddy. Yeah. That's pricey. You know what's uh, nerve wracking <laughs> is I, I'm of course the one that has to go get it, and so 
the stress <sighs> level of getting that guy home on the uh, windy, bumpy, uh, unforgiving roads to Chicago is always an adventure. So, Well, you know, just to give you a little heads up, I've seen enough episodes of Cake Boss to know uh, that's the hardest part of the whole transaction is getting that sucker from the bakery into the van and at the yeah. venue. So uh, good luck, dude. Yeah, good luck. I mean, there's no insurance that covers a damaged cake after you take it from the baker. So No, no. And let me tell you, it doesn't take much. You know, a couple bumps and Elmo's not going to look like Elmo. And anymore. if Elmo does get bumped, I may as well just not even come home. So Yeah. <laughs> you, you might as well keep on yeah. driving, man. Because let me tell you, that's not going to go no, over well. No, it's not. But, uh, yeah, we've got a great show for you today. Uh, thanks for joining. If this is your first time, we are Chowder and Grits, the podcast for ACC and Hokies football. You can uh, subscribe to our show, leave us a review, you know, maybe five stars if you're feeling pretty good about it, pretty strong, uh, that, that we just rocked your podcast world. Um, and, yeah, tell your friends. That's, uh, that's all we ask. But, you know, a bye week for the Hokies. So we reached out to uh, our friend of the show, Michael Brewer to uh, see about coming back on and he was uh, more than happy to come on to discuss kind of what he's been seeing from the Hokies so far this season and kind of uh, kind of where he thinks they could go in the uh, in the future over the next few weeks of course in the unpredictable ACC Coastal so let's uh, let's go ahead and jump into that and then we will catch you on the backside. Okay we welcome on former Hokies quarterback Michael Brewer. Michael what's going on? Uh, not too much. Thanks for having me back on, guys. Yeah, no problem. Thanks Absolutely. for uh, thanks for joining. So, what's uh, what's been going on in your world with this college football season upon us? Man, it's been busy. Uh, got my brother playing over at Baylor, so been traveling every weekend, going to his games, trying to stream all the hokey games, record some that I can that are on TV, so I can come back and watch them. It's uh, it's been nonstop, but you know. If you're a football guy, you gotta love it, and I'm a football guy, so I love it. There you go. Are you uh, are you going to the away games as well? I've been going. I've gone to all of them except for when they played at Kansas State. So I was uh, I was in Stillwater last weekend watching that one. Okay. So uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's looking like it's going to be Baylor and SMU in the national championship. <laughs> <laughs> no kidding. Who would have thought that uh, before the season started? Yeah, so what's it uh what's it like watching your brother have uh, a good bit of success and you know, I think they're seven and zero right now in the Big Twelve. That they still got Texas and OU coming up, I believe, but I mean it seems like they're in pretty good position right now to uh to potentially make some noise. Yeah, they're seven and zero right now. They've got um they got a Halloween game as their next game against West Virginia. Um so I'm sure Ooh. the Hokie fans okay. would like to see a a Baylor win in that one. Absolutely. Yeah. So root for uh, root for the Brewer kid in that one, Hokie Nation. Um, but yeah, then they got Texas and OU at home. So those are going to be the two big ones. And we'll see what happens if they could split those. You know, they'll have a very good chance of being in Dallas for the Big 12 championship game, which would be awesome. So open for the best. Yeah. Well, OU looks, uh, OU looks pretty good this year. Texas a little bit up and down. So, you know. I think I like their odds to to have a pretty decent shot at splitting at least one of those games. So, yeah, I would think so. So we'll see. A lot of ball left to be played. But yeah, pretty crazy. We were talking about this uh, offline here. But Baylor's the top-rated team in in Texas. 
That's right. And yeah. uh, SMU is a close third, maybe. At least they, yeah. they were third before last week, but I think they're up to like 15th in the country. Um, yeah, I'm pretty sure it goes uh, like Baylor 14, Texas 15, and I want to say SMU maybe 17, somewhere like something like that. Yeah, that's crazy. That's crazy. It's it's weird seeing SMU good at football. You know, when it, I uh, – my wife is actually an alum of SMU, okay. and uh, when we were living in Dallas – they were good at basketball. They had like this brief little two, three year period where Larry Brown was the head coach. And that's right. Uh, SMU basketball kind of became the place to be seen uh, in Dallas, at least by like the cele- celebrities. You'd have like Tony Romo and Jason Witten sitting courtside with George W. Bush. And like it was just like a, it was a thing. It was like every single week. So, yep. All right. Well, turned around over there. So it's good to see. It's good for the state of football over here. Yeah, for sure. So let's jump over to the AC. Oh, yeah, I I forgot to ask, you know, pretty important question here. Have you been up to Dallas since we last talked? Oh, for some barbecue? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) He remembers, yeah. Yeah, I do remember. No, I have not been back up um, in quite some time. So Okay, Uh, well, Big 12 championship, I'm telling you. Yeah, Baylor plays at TCU. in a couple of weeks. So I'll be up in Fort Worth for that one. So I'll pop over and get some barbecue, send you guys a picture. Perfect. Yeah, yep. for sure. That's, That's all we need. Do. I got to live vicariously <laughs> through you. We can't get that kind of stuff up here. There you go. I recommended it to somebody else today. They're like, we're going to Dallas. Any food wrecks? I'm like, yep, sure do. Pecan Lodge, do it up. So, um, Golly. all right. So let's jump over to the ACC. Got some football action here, Virginia Tech specifically. So, you know, not really the season that we kind of, I don't even want to say expected. It's just been an odd season for Virginia Tech football, uh, seven games in. And, uh, you know, it's uh, we, we've been playing kind of quarterback roulette, you know, started the season with Ryan Willis, uh, obviously didn't work out. So, I mean, from from that standpoint, from your lens, former quarterback, what have you seen from an offensive standpoint in the first few weeks that maybe we as fans, you know, non-quarterbacks who don't understand schemes at a high level but like to pretend we do? You know, what yeah. have you seen from a, from a scheming standpoint that's changed from a Ryan Willis offense to a Hendon Hooker slash Quincy Patterson offense? Yeah, I think, you know, one thing that I saw at the beginning of the year is it just didn't look like we had much of a rhythm. Um, right. We were really struggling to, to find our identity on offense kind of looked like we're we're working hard, you know, in some of those FCS level teams that we're playing, trying to do different things to kind of see what works, what we can get our foot in the door with. Um, you know, we want to be a zone run football team and we're having a pretty hard time. I don't think we're necessarily elite up front. Um, we're good up front, but we're not elite up front and we're having a hard time being one dimensional in the run game uh, with Ryan in there and with, with having a mobile quarterback in, you know, it kind of puts a little bit more pressure on the defense. And I think that's why you've seen uh, a little bit of spark, I guess would be the right word. You know, defenses having to bring an extra guy in the box. Um, you know, now all of a sudden, instead of a, a primarily a zone run football team, now we can mix it up and run QB power. And and then that, you know, elaborates with all the play action game off of that when you're seeing guys uh, running a little bit more open. You know, that's that's a product of, of being able to run the football. And, you know, really – 
had nothing to do with Ryan. We just couldn't find a way to run the football when he was in there. You know, had we been able to run it, I think that he would have done really well. Um, but that just wasn't the case, unfortunately. And, and, you know, I think we've kind of found something that's given us a little jolt with, with having a guy with some wheels in the backfield. Yeah. And do you think that that, uh, you know, finding that jolt, I think certainly we've seen uh, a running back in McLeese who looked like he couldn't do anything uh, positive, you know, whether that be the line's fault, the scheme's fault uh, in the first games with Ryan. Um, and certainly I, I think you might agree that, you know, having Hendon in there certainly has seemed to open up the running game, too, for the running backs as well. No question. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of like what I was talking, you know, having to bring an extra guy in the box um, when you do run the zone game now defenses have to account for the quarterback, scrape the linebacker over the top. And, you know, that that means he takes one or two steps outside the box to make sure Hendon or Quincy doesn't keep it. And now all of a sudden there's a cutback lane for McLeese. Sure. Um, and, and with a quick little shifty guy like that, just mm-hmm. having a little extra crease, having the defense hesitate just a little bit uh, makes a world of difference. Uh, you know, and then obviously you got the guys on the outside that are starting to get a lot more man coverage now. Um, you know, sure. At least for the the North Carolina game, you know, anytime North Carolina put less than seven guys in the box, we were running power football. Yeah, from what I was seeing, and and you know, when you can pick three, four yards up on first down, doing that, you're always staying ahead of the chains. And when you got a running quarterback and you can stay ahead of the chains, it makes it a lot easier as a play caller. So, you know, yeah. not being in third and long all the time is is another reason why you've seen the offense doing a lot better. Sure. And I mean, Quincy came in, didn't even miss a beat. And, um, you know, we were running quarterback power uh, often when he came in and, and they they knew what was coming and, and couldn't stop it. So, um, you know, I thought the play calling as a whole, especially in that UNC game with Quincy coming in, I thought Cornelson did a good job mixing it up enough with him to keep him effective on the ground game, because that was impressive to me, being able to sustain success back there without necessarily having the ability to throw the ball like Hendon did. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, when you've got when you're lining up against the defense and everybody in the stadium and everybody on this other sideline and everybody on the field knows that you're going to run the football and you still can't stop it. Right. That's you know, that's when, you know, things are clicking. Sure. And and that's kind of what was happening, at least in the fourth quarter and in overtime there when we had when we had Quincy in the game is they were loading the box and just playing basically zero defense out there. And they couldn't stop it. I mean, we're three, four yards every time. Every time we snap the football, and that's just demoralizing for a defense. Yeah, it was. Uh, there, I saw a picture of Quincy Patterson's helmet, and it looked like you know he played center or something, just because <laughs> yeah. like it was all scarred up and everything. But like, yeah, yeah, and like there was eight, nine guys in the box every single play, and he would get three, four, five yards every time he'd run up the middle. But you know, I think um, going back to Ryan Willis a little bit. You know, obviously the run game wasn't working for him, but, you know, I felt like watching the game, you know, over the first few weeks he was in and even coming into the North North Carolina game, the offensive play calling, the scheme, you know, whatever we want to call it, it just didn't feel like it was set up for him to succeed because it was very kind of run focused, run heavy. And, you know, he's a guy who can move out of the pocket, um, you know, you know, can make some plays with his legs, but he's not a dynamic runner by any stretch. He's a guy who's probably better suited to stand back in the pocket, um, try to read, read the defense down the field. Did you feel there was any of that that was kind of uh, contributing to some of his, you know, mishaps out there? Yeah. I mean, when I, 
you know, when I look at Ryan, I think of a guy who you want to keep in the pocket and, and drive the football down the field. He's got a really strong arm, really live arm. Um, but yeah, I mean, you're right. You know, when you've got a guy like that and you're having a really hard time finding a rhythm on offense and you're not playing great up front, you can't run the football. Well, you're going to find yourself in third and long quite a bit. And, you know, when he's not necessarily a guy that you want moving around and, and are going to be calling eight, nine, 10 run plays, designed run plays a game, it makes it a lot more difficult. And it's kind of like what I was talking about, you know, the first four or five weeks there um, when he was playing, it was almost kind of like we were just going into each game, trying to figure out something that we can make work and, and then try to just keep working on that. And we yeah. couldn't do that. You know, we, you know, one thing I noticed when he was in there and we were committed to throwing the football, we would play a lot slower. Yeah. Um, you would see the quarterback check to the sideline a lot. You know, you're snapping the ball with seven, eight seconds left on the play clock. Um, with these running guys, one thing, we would still look to the sidelines, but even when we do that, we're snapping it with 16, 17, 18 seconds on the clock, trying to play fast, trying to wear the defensive line down. Um, and it's just, it's a little bit harder. I mean, it's a little bit easier on a play caller when you've got a guy where when you don't know what to call, you can always call quarterback power. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and that's not necessarily the case with Ryan, which, you know, that's not really the case for a majority of the quarterbacks in college football, but that's just kind of where we were. And for whatever reason, you know, when we've made these changes and, you know, dating back to the Miami game where we started to have some success, it looked like a totally new football team. You know, I was kind of disappointed the first couple of weeks. It was the first time that I'd seen a Virginia Tech team that just had what I thought just no passion, no right. no energy, um, really were not playing physical football, kind of beating themselves. And, you know, that was really concerning to see. And then all of a sudden you start having a little bit of success and you get a new guy in there. The crowd shows up for the North Carolina game and they're into it. And now all of a sudden it kind of feels like, wait a minute, you know, we can, we might be able to make a run at the coastal here. Yeah. When, and that, that's been the oh, most surprising thing to me. Um, honestly, was that turnaround. If we go back and look at that Duke game, uh, what we saw was so far in a way, uh, in a different stratosphere from the sideline, just seeming dead, the lack of passion, um, the effort just didn't seem to be there in a way that we as Virginia tech fans, um, had never really seen at least in a long time. And to see and go back and kind of run that game back, look at where we were and where we are now, it's kind of hard to identify, you know, how just one spark or, you know, one one good quarter of football can change that. Um, right. But it seems to have changed overnight. And, and I don't know where that comes from, you know, or who to give credit to in that regard. But, you know, for both the coaching staff and the players, that's just, you know, I can't say enough about them and their ability to bounce back. That's been so impressive. Yeah, I completely agree. It was you know, it was kind of discouraging there from an outside looking in perspective, just to kind of see it just kept look like it was slowly going downhill with, you know, zero energy, no physicality, just no passion, which was just totally the opposite of any Virginia Tech football team I've ever watched. And then all of a sudden it just flipped, you know, just like a light switch overnight. And now here we are talking about getting back into the coastal and yeah. Um, you know, that was, that was a huge win for Virginia tech that six overtime game. So I hope that that kind of leapfrogs them into some more success here in the future. Yeah. And I think, uh, having a buy after a game like that is very helpful, you know, not only for 
all the extra football that was played, but just from a mental standpoint, kind of get back into it a lot easier after you win, I assume, than after you lose. But, you know, not to kind of rain on a parade here, but, you know, as you mentioned, the Duke game, I, I felt like it was a low point, not just for Virginia Tech football, but for like for the fan base, because yeah. we had talked about, you know, that dark cloud that was over the program before last season, and it just kind of lingered into this season. But, you know, the last three weeks, like, that's gone. You know, it's it's just completely uplifted. It's a sunny day in Blacksburg. We're playing stick it in. You know, the fans are staying for the entire game for the most part, except for the north right. end zone. Um, so, I mean, you know, what do you think it means for a team that is winning, but going forward, they're going to be playing a little bit of a, a more difficult schedule? Because if we really want to assess it, you know, they they beat a Miami team, almost lost uh, after blowing a 28 point lead. Um, that's three and four, you know, only one power five win against Virginia and a North Carolina team that's lost four or five. So Rhode Island thrown in between. They really haven't played, I guess, like a high level of talent, even though Miami does have a lot of talent. They're just not putting it together on the field. North Carolina is a young team, but they're competitive. What do you think you're expecting to see? Maybe we take Notre Dame out of it, but let's say Notre Dame, Wake Forest, Pitt, UVA, like those are very different football teams that they're getting ready to face. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, you know, uh, we didn't really do a great job of taking care of business the way we're supposed to at the beginning of the year. You know, I know we kind of touched on that and then the whole um, light switch change and now all of a sudden we're back into it. But yeah, I mean, you're right. We really have not played the best of talent, I guess, you know, the best coach football team that we've played so far this year, we got beat 45 to 10. Right. Um, yeah. And so we're fixing to come up here in the near future on some pretty good football teams, some well-coached football teams. So although, you know, everybody's really excited right now, as they should be, you know, this is kind of these next couple of weeks is really we're going to see if we've really taken a step forward, I think. So what about some other elements of the offense? You know, offensive line play, it's a pretty young group. Uh, there's been a lot of guys shifting in and out of that offensive line. Uh, a couple of guys have really struggled at points through the year, but do you think there's a particular guy that stands out to you as having, you know, performed at a at a high level and kind of just going forward, you know, against a team with a bigger off or a defensive line like Notre Dame? Like, what what do you kind of expect from this group? You know, the first of all, Notre Dame is very good up front. Um, I've watched them several times this year they've got they've got some elite talent up front that will definitely be a test that'll be interesting to see how we attack that um because that'll be a game where i would imagine that we're going to try to play keep away quite a bit uh be pretty slow and methodical on offense and keep them off the field so um they're going to have to get creative in ways to run the quarterback in that one i would imagine you're probably going to see both hinden and quincy in that one because that's going to be a physical need two bodies kind of a game um what, right. What's interesting to me is, you know, right now we've got the two running quarterbacks and McLeese. And, and, you know, obviously it looks like right now that that's kind of the way that this offense is going to trend in the future is we're going to be a run first quarterback, you know, mobile quarterback offense. Um, and it's interesting that, you know, we don't have a whole lot of size at the running back position unless we got some guys, you know, on the bench or that are red shirt in that I don't know about. We got Dalton Keene. 
Yeah. Hey, we, we Dalton, Taj Gary, who's run the ball like five times this year. Yeah, Dalton is a tight end, though, right? I mean, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. He, He's our backup we, running back. Yeah, we need him on the field to play tight end, not to play <laughs> right. backup running back. And, and you know, when we play these teams like Notre Dame, you've got to have size up front to block those edge backers, to block, to kick out a defensive end. And, you know, you cannot just rely on, you know, a smaller scat back type running back to play four quarters in a game like that. And so that'll be one thing interesting moving forward that I've kind of wondered about on what our game plan is on that. Sounds like, you know, we'll probably start recruiting some bigger guys if we're going to continue to, you know, to run this mobile quarterback offense. But yeah. Um, but yeah. And then that, and, you know, I think we need to get some guys that can, that can blow the top off of a defense. You know, I know we've got a little bit of size out there, um, but I think one thing we're missing is just that one guy that can just blow the top off. You know, you're scared of him beating you deep every time he's on the field. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that guy can be Trey Turner, you know, and he's been injured for the bulk of the year. Um, right. And we kind of saw glimpses of it uh, at UNC, what he can kind of give you. And I think you're right. Um, you know, this offense, if you have that, that those one or two guys that can take the top off and you can maintain that running threat, then you go from just an average offense to one that's extremely dangerous. And I, I'm hoping we continue that trend and figure out how to get that vertical passing game uh, more involved in the offense as we move forward. Yeah, you're exactly right. I mean, basically, to put it in layman terms, if you've got, you know, if you've got somebody that can blow the top off on either side of the football and the defense is scared about that, I mean, you, you know, they got to play with two safeties or with at least one safety help which sure. takes an extra guy out of the box. And when you got guys that can bang it up in there for five, six yards of carry, you need that extra player in the box. And so it's a lose-lose for the defense. You know, bring that guy in the box and we'll throw it over your head, keep him back there, and we'll run the football. It's that simple. And uh, when you've got a running quarterback like that, it's that simple. And so I think that's kind of what you're going to see moving forward, especially if Turner can, can you know, really take steps forward in the, in the vertical pass game. I definitely feel like we're talented enough at the wide receiver position. Um, you know, Damon Hazleton, you know, just the stature of that guy. He he seems like he's got the NFL in his future. He's just been pretty inconsistent at times this year. Um, so you, you really look for him to be a little bit better. Hezekiah Grimsley really has been absent from the offense right. um, after the first week or two. So, you know, he's a guy who might be more of a dynamic playmaker, at least somebody we were expecting to be out of the slot. You know, honestly, we haven't seen a lot of Tavion Robinson, um, you know, Caleb Smith, the guys that we were seeing in the first couple of weeks. That might be because we're running the ball a little bit more, but I don't know. I mean, who do you think has the best chance of stepping up and being kind of a, a leader in that receiving group? Because right now it's just kind of up for grabs. Yeah, I mean, just from the the little that I've seen so far, I would say Turner um, just on a production base. But, you know, all of these guys are fixing to have a really good opportunity because although we are going to be running the football more, they're going to be seeing a heck of a lot more man coverage now. Sure. As opposed to when Ryan was in the game, you're looking a lot more, you know, second level blitz, but still playing zone coverage, you know, trying to get pressure with only bringing four making them throw it into tight windows. Now you're fixing to see a lot of hats in the box and a lot of man coverage. And it's going to be, can we beat the guy across, of us, across from us on the outside, on the perimeter? And if we can, this offense is going to be really good. And if we yeah. can, it's going to be pretty tough, you know? And so hopefully Turner, big body guy, can stretch the field for us and, and start opening things up a little bit. Because if, if he can step up, I think this, you know, 
we're going to have a chance to have a pretty fun year here. What about uh, defensively? You know, what are you seeing out of our defense from from this year compared to last year? You know, it, our secondary has been getting a lot of hype, at least the, the cornerbacks. Caleb Farley's, Farley's looked much better. You know, Jermaine Waller's had a pretty good season. Shamari Connor out of the whip. Mm-hmm. Uh, honestly, kind of our safeties, it feels like, have been letting us down uh, more yeah. than maybe we expected. So what do you think just about the defense overall and maybe that, that secondary group? Yeah, with the scheme that, that Coach Foster plays with, you know, if you can't get pressure with just four or five guys up front, then it's hard because he's got to play extremely aggressive, bringing, bringing guys you know, from all over the place and leaving, leaving safeties on islands, leaving corners on islands. And, you know, I just don't know that maybe we're just too young right now. I just don't see us as being, you know, really elite right now in the secondary. And when you're playing that much man coverage and, and you know, bringing that much pressure, you got to make plays one-on-one. It's kind of like we were talking about with, you know, like Turner stepping up. You know, we'd love to see what teams have kind of done to us in the past game recently. We'd love to do that to people. Um, but that's just kind of the case. You know, I go back and look like when I was playing, we had guys like Kaishan Jarrett and Kendall Fuller and Brandon Faison. Well, Coach Foster was bringing pressure from everywhere, and he was leaving those kind of guys on islands. And we got we could get away with it because of the talent that they had. And, you know, I see the talent out there, especially with guys like Farley. It's just, you know, we're a little bit young still. and Right now, we're having a hard time getting pressure with only four or five guys. And when that's the case, you know, teams are going to run the football on you. And when you have to bring pressure, you better be able to defend it or get to the quarterback extremely fast. And we just haven't done that. We've done it good at times, but not all the time. Yeah. And I think the trend is is pointing forward a little bit on that. We seem to be, at least with the front four, getting a lot better pressure than we were in the beginning of the season. I will um, say it's, the second half of the North Carolina game, we yeah. A lot better getting pressure without having to bring a lot of guys. First Absolutely. half was not so good. Second half, it was a lot better. <laughs> I agree. And, you know, that that was one of the frustrating things in the first game, um, you know, against Boston College. And it's so important, especially with that secondary not full of, you know, certainly not full of playmakers. I think I think the, the cornerbacks themselves, if you isolated them and looked at them in a vacuum, I think they've performed well. I think the safety is not so much, at least in pass coverage. Um, but that improvement along the defensive line that I think we'll continue to see because of the depth and because of the new players we have there, I'm hoping that'll help the defense continue to slightly improve game by game. But you're absolutely right. The, the, the pressure that we're able to create is going to, uh, the, the, the defense's performances for the rest of the year are going to completely hinge on that. Yep. Yeah, and, you know, I, I think, too, like, we're starting to see the defensive line play a little bit better. Like, Narelle Pollard's a guy who's really starting to pop. Love him. Uh, you know, Jared Hewitt, hopefully he can repeat the performance he had against North Carolina. Um, but, you know, one thing with our defense I've noticed is, you know, there are times where they seem like they're playing at an elite level. You know, for most of that second half against North Carolina, North Carolina couldn't move the football. You know, you had the kind of gimmick play where they had the guy wide open in the, uh, you know, behind the defense who just walked into the end zone. But for the most part, you know, the defense that, that half looked really good, uh, made some big plays in overtime to come away with the game, come away with the win. Why is it, do you think, that, you know, in some games, like maybe I'm trying to remember, it might have been the first half of the Boston College game, I feel like the defense really showed out. First quarter of the Duke game, you know, I think Duke had five yards, and then all of a sudden, like, it's just not working. 
Yeah, I mean, I think it's two things, honestly. You know, it, when you're talking about these games at the beginning of the year, you know, I don't know exactly what the problem was, but I know that there was a problem with, you know, when things started to go bad on both sides of the ball, we just let it snowball. And there was no right. physicality or passion or – I don't know what the problem was. It seems like we fixed that, and that's kind of in our past. But, you know, short answer, I think that had a lot to do with it on the defensive side of the ball. You know, you're playing well early, and then all of a sudden offense goes three and out twice, maybe a turnover. You let, you know, you, you let two long touchdown drives up, and then all of a sudden you let it snowball. And then – you know, but we'll put that in the past because we're assuming that's that's behind us, right? I mean, we haven't seen that uh, in a couple of weeks. So, you know, moving forward, that defense schematically, it's kind of a boomer bust defense. You know, there's opportunities when you're game planning on offense against a Bud Foster defense. There's opportunities there if you've got elite guys on the outside and a quarterback who can get it there and can find creative ways to pick up the pressure because Coach Foster is going to bring pressure from everywhere. That's his MO. That's his game. He's going to hit the quarterback, and he's going to force you into bad decisions. And, you know, if you've got a guy who can hit open guys and he's got good receivers and, you know, you're not playing at an elite level at the safety position or corner position for that one play, then you could give up a really big play. And that's kind of what you see every now and then. Yeah. And, and yeah, not to, you know, to piggyback on what you said, what you said there too, you know, what you said is absolutely right. I think something that we saw in the beginning of the season, especially was that the offense couldn't sustain a drive um, with all those three and outs. I think over the course of those games, especially in the BC game, um, I think we saw a defense that just got tired and naturally throughout the, uh, you know, the span of the game as well with a defense that doesn't necessarily have a lot of depth. Um, the importance of the offense to be able to sustain those eight play drives, six play drives, and as opposed to going, you know, three and out, I think that's going to be huge moving forward. And I think that was a huge factor in the defense's underperformance. And it's going to be an issue, I think, for the whole year, uh, which is why I love seeing the run kind of finally grab hold, uh, because that's going to be an important tool in the tool chest for the Hokies, you know, and their success on both sides of the ball moving forward. That's exactly right. We're trying to do with this new offense moving forward. We're trying to do what, you know, you're talking about teams are doing to us early in the season, like Boston College and Duke running the football, keeping their offense on the field for a long time, keeping their own defense off the field, tiring out our defense. And, you know, when you can lean on people for four quarters running the football, by the time the second half of that third quarter starts and the whole fourth quarter, it's really hard on those big guys on the defensive side of the ball. And, you just you just get worn down. And, you know, that's what we're going to be trying to do to people moving forward. And that's what teams did to us at the beginning of the year. Yeah, absolutely. So I don't know how much you've watched uh, the rest of the ACC, but right now, who would you say is the best team in the Coastal? Man. Um, <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hasn't I mean. I heard a stat the other day. I don't. I don't. Maybe I heard it wrong. But has it been seven years in a row or six years in a row that somebody different has represented the coastal in the in the conference championship game? Six in a row. Yeah, yeah. that's crazy. So, that so the only me. team that hasn't is Virginia. Yeah, Just that tells you all you need. So good luck. Good luck. Good luck <laughs> answering that question. I mean, it could be, right. you know, off the top of my head, I would say, you know probably Virginia Tech or Virginia right just right now how they're playing yeah. Pitt is starting to play better but um I mean who knows at this point I mean your guess is as good as mine 
Yeah, I mean, there's there's so many, like the Duke-North Carolina game this week, you know, that's pretty much like a lose-and-go-home kind of game. Yeah. Um, you've got uh, UVA and Louisville. You know, who knows? Louisville's been way better than, yeah. I think, any of us expected. Yep. Um, and then with Virginia Tech, you know, the issue with them, unfortunately, they played that conference game in week one. Um, mm-hmm. I, I wish they hadn't. Uh, just because it was a loss and that's going to come back and potentially bite them now that they already have two losses. But I don't know. What's your what's your prediction for the Hokies for uh, for the rest of the season? Um, yeah, I mean, we've got some extremely winnable games on our schedule coming up. Um, let's see. I'm, I'm looking it up right here to make sure I get these right. Um, you know, obviously, Notre Dame coming up next. That's going to be that's oh, yeah, going to that's, that's be a tough ask. You know, it'd be it'd be interesting though. I think you know, with with the recent spark we found on offense, we should at least be able to make it difficult on them for a half. So, you know, who knows? Yeah, anytime you can run the football effectively, you got a chance to win whatever game you're in. So, right, we can continue to build what we've been doing on the run game, then we absolutely have a chance in that. Um, yep. And then you know, we play we host a Wake Forest team at home who is a pretty dang good football team. <laughs> yeah. I've watched them a couple times this year. They They've got it going on offense. They got some pretty good talent. They got a really good receiver, a good quarterback. Um, they run it pretty well. Looks like they're playing pretty decent defense, other than that shootout they got in with Louisville a couple weeks ago. Yeah. Right. Um, but that's a game that we can definitely win. You know, you're probably going to be looking at a a field goal spread one way or the other. Um, and then Georgia Tech is down. That's you know we should take care of them. And then your last two games are two teams that. Um, that we could definitely win. You know, Pitt has always been tough for us, but, you know, they're extremely beatable. And, you know, UVA is – this is probably the best UVA – well, most well-rounded UVA team that they've had in quite some time. But No doubt. But, I mean, if history tells you anything, the, you know, the Hokies have definitely got better than a good chance in that one. Yeah, like there's such a uh, there's such a one-trick pony on offense, too. Like, and And Perkins, it seems like he's banged up and more more and more banged up every single week and Mendenhall refuses to kind of take the load off of him. So, you know, if he were to go down or if he's not able to play at a high level, like I think UVA becomes very beatable. Even though that defense is very good, um, you know, offensively, you know, they're very one-dimensional, uh which I think uh benefits anybody who who plays them. The other thing with Notre Dame too. If you remember last year, we were only down one at halftime against Notre Dame. Yep. Um and this year, you know, they at least heading into the Georgia game, they were really struggling to stop the run. They've been much better since that point. But I think they are somewhat vulnerable in that aspect. So if we can, you know, potentially, I don't think we're going to catch them off guard because that's obviously what we're doing best at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, but maybe take advantage through the air. I don't know. Maybe we've got a uh, maybe we've got a fighter's chance. Yeah, no, I mean, you're, I think you're going to get a, pretty realistic look of where Notre Dame's at this weekend Um, playing that Michigan team on the road. That's going to be a tough ask for them. But um, you know, if Michigan, Michigan's had a tough time running the football this year, it kind of looked like they kind of got things going a little bit in the second half of that Penn state game. But you know, if Michigan can come out and run the football on them, then you got to be licking your chops if you're Virginia tech and, and formulating that game plan. Yeah, no doubt. So, uh, Tim, any uh, any final questions before we wrap up? Um, yeah, actually, the most important question of all, uh, Michael, I got a scenario for you. 
you're trick-or-treating, you're 13 years old, uh, you only get to keep three types of candy in your bucket. What are your top three Halloween candies? Top three Halloween candies. Probably uh, Reese's, the Reese's Bingo. Cups. Yep. Uh, probably some... M&M's, the peanut M&M's. My man, look, my man, he, he's got it. He's got it. <laughs> uh, and third, maybe some, uh, this is kind of, well, you don't see a ton of this anymore, but I, I did used to really like the Kit Kat bars. There you okay. go. Yeah, no, Kit Kat bars are solid, especially that uh, white chocolate variant, man. They, is that, uh, is it, or Kit, is Kit Kat still relevant? Kind of. It's still a thing. I don't see any of the uh, weird commercials anymore. Oh, oh my like, gosh. Like we used to, but... Yeah. yeah, Kit Kat bars <laughs> used to have the marketing on lock back yeah. in the day. Yeah, you snap them in half like in the commercials. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man, now I want to go YouTube old uh, Kit Kat commercials for the rest of the night. Thanks, Michael. <laughs> Bring him back. <laughs> yeah, man. All right, well, uh, thanks again, Michael, for coming on. And, uh, you know, when uh, the Hokies went out and they're in the ACC championship and uh, about to take down Clemson, we'll we'll have you back on to preview that game. Yeah, if that's the case, we might have to do a live show from uh, from the from the game. Yeah, oh, for sure. You got that right. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, we'll we'll do whatever we need to to make it out to Charlotte for that one. No doubt. Absolutely, as will I. All right, thanks again. Yep, you bet. Appreciate it. All right, so thanks again to uh, Michael Brewer for coming on. Uh, Tim, any uh, any final thoughts on that interview? Yeah, I mean, you know, great to hear from him, kind of get a get a, you know, thoughts from a guy who's very intimate with the Hokie football program and um, you know, who's seen some of this stuff firsthand and and hear what his thoughts are. I thought it was interesting. His thoughts echoed a lot of what we had seen. Uh, you know, which is always cool, but you know, again, just Michael, what a great guy and and what an what an awesome Hokie. Yeah, no, it's always uh, always great to get a former players, especially a quarterback's uh perspective. You know, he can really uh, talk to it better than uh, than we fans can talk to it, even though we think we're experts at times. But uh, yeah, we think it's. Oh, uh, I know Justin. It's always good too to hear that he's as nervous as we are about the game. So doesn't <laughs> right. doesn't make me feel so bad about myself. I'll let my wife know that you know she can maybe go easier on the judging now, but you know maybe not. Yeah. So um, let's jump into the rest of the games, Tim. So a couple of really big games in the ACC Coastal, really just the ACC as a whole. So. Uh, first one's first. Miami at Pitt. Miami is a five and a half point underdog. This game is noon Eastern on ESPN. You know, offensively, uh, you know, Pitt hasn't really been blowing the doors off of teams, but Kenny Pickett has been pretty solid. Uh, where they typically get into trouble is the round game. Uh, that being said, AJ Davis had his first 100 yard rushing game last last week. Uh, but this is a very difficult Miami defense to to face, and given all the issues that Miami has had, you know that defense has still been fairly strong for the most part from week to week. Um, you know, if you look at the Georgia Tech game last week, there was just a lot of random, odd plays that happened that that led to that loss. the The one thing about Miami that I'm kind of tired of hearing is from Manny Diaz saying that you know they're four plays away from being seven to zero. It's like Manny. You lost to Georgia Tech. You're a 19 point favorite. You only beat Central Michigan by five. You know, you were down 28 points to Virginia Tech. Your team has a lot more issues than just being four plays away from seven and zero. And it's a yeah, little bit. At some point, you've got to drop that whole talking. It's point. concerning and, to and hear, isn't it? Yeah. After losing to Georgia Tech, I think that's when you do it. 
You know, I think that's when you retire that. Yeah, it's just a little bit concerning to hear your head coach talk like that, especially after losing to a team like Georgia Tech. So I don't really know what to expect with Miami. If you think back to the 2017 season, the last time they were, you know, a real threat, that's when they got up to number two in the nation. That's when they went into Pitt and lost. And basically since that game, they've, they've been off the rails. So... You know, maybe two years later they can go in there, win, and kind of get back on track. I'm actually going to pick Miami to win this game. I think uh, I think they're going to rebound. I think they're going to catch Pitt off guard a little bit. You know, it's Pitt's been better than I expected. That defense I really like, and that's why I'm a little bit hesitant to to pick Miami in this game. But I still really just don't love their offense. So. I think it's uh, it's going to be a pretty ugly game, low offensive scoring, but I'm going to go with Miami by two points. You stole my thunder, and I hate you for I'm it. Sorry, um, Miami up and down, up and down. I think we're going to see a swing back to the mediocre upside this week. Um, you know, I don't love what Pitt has been doing, but Pitt has been uglying up games. Miami plays an ugly game. So they thrive in that mess, baby. So look for Miami to win that game in a close, ugly game. Um, but, you know, it's, it's going to sting, no pun intended, to lose to the Yellow Jackets. And I think they're going to see a little bounce back just for pride's sake at this point. So uh, give me Miami in a tight one. Um, plus, you know, I kind of want the coastal chaos to get even more chaotic. Syracuse at Florida State, 330 Eastern ESPN2. Good news for both teams in this one. Uh, one of them has a 50-50 shot to win. So that means they'll get back to 500. One team will get their fifth loss. Both teams, well, I'll say Syracuse is reeling right now. Florida State has been better defensively. Florida State's been much better. The Florida State defense gets a bad rap, and I'll start with the head coach there because he likes to always put the brunt of it on the defense. Uh, But the defense is typically on the field for two-thirds of the game every single week. It's the offense that can't play consistent or stay on the field and sustain drive. So, you know, offensively last week, Florida State, they kind of stopped their little quarterback carousel, stuck with James Blackman. You know, they went up against a pretty porous defense in Wake Forest and only scored 20 points. So I don't know what to expect in this game. I'm going to go Florida State just because overall I think they're much better right now than Syracuse and that defense up against the atrocious Syracuse offensive line should mean a lot of issues for the offense again this week. Yeah, bad quarterback play is going to doom Syracuse in this one. Florida State, you know, they've been bad. They have a bad record, but I think they're slightly better than their record indicates. Um, You know, so the Orange are going to go down to Tallahassee and get squeezed. Give me uh, Florida State by at least a couple touchdowns. UVA at Louisville, 330 on the ACC Network. Cardinals are three-and-a-half-point dogs at home. Really intriguing game. It's uh, Louisville. They've got the number 27th-rated offense in the country. They're averaging over 450 yards per game. A good chunk of that is rushing. They're led by uh, freshman Javion Hawkins. You know, Mikhail Cunningham can uh, can definitely tear it up on the ground as well. Um, out of the quarterback position, they kind of run a two-quarterback set. You know, they'll throw in Mikhail Cunningham. They'll throw in Evan Conley. Both are pretty serviceable. Uh, they both struggled against Duke, last, or not against Duke, but uh, Clemson last week. Um, but, you know, UVA, they're coming off a dominant performance against Duke. Probably the best game that they've played all season from a team standpoint. 
you know, got got the rushing game going a little bit. You know, Perkins had a solid game. That defense looked really good. I don't know, Tim. What do you think? I mean, this is a tough one to call. Uh, you know, JV on Hawkins, I, I think maybe, again, he has another strong game, goes for over 100 yards. What I'm worried about in this one is Louisville's defense. I don't know if it is good enough to slow down the UVA offense enough to score enough points against a very strong UVA defense in this game, even though it's at home. I'm going to give UVA the edge, but I think there's a, a decent chance they lose. Yeah, and I, I'm going to uh, go the opposite direction here. It's like my grandfather told me, never a bet a bent against a bunch of coaches that begin the game by punching themselves in their own face. And let me Your tell you, those Louisville you coaches— that, huh? He did, and those Louisville coaches are not going to lose uh, to the Wahoos. So you also got to consider, too, UVA's one and two on the road. They've struggled on the road, and they're going up against a Louisville team that can really get it done on the offensive side of the football. Um, again, I don't think UVA's offense, no matter how good they looked against Duke, is going to be one that is going to be able to outpace the Louisville Cardinals in this game. Um, you know, I like offense. I like what Louisville's been doing. I also like when UVA loses. All those things add to Louisville winning this one in my mind. Okay. Okay. We'll see. I hope you're right, but I've got my doubts, but I've, I've somewhat doubted Louisville all year and, uh, they've proven me wrong time and time again. That's right. That's right. Uh, Duke at North Carolina, 4 PM. This is going to be on your regional sports network somewhere. Uh, this is pretty much a lose and go home type of game, Tim. We've got uh, the Blue Devils who are reeling a bit, kind of. I mean, they're coming off a pretty horrendous performance against UVA. Uh, They got down big against Pitt before coming back and making it interesting, still ended up losing. And then you got North Carolina who, you know, it feels like they're much better than they are, but they've lost four or five games. So coming off a very emotional six-overtime loss to Virginia Tech, you know, that's that's, – Tough game physically to be in, and then mentally, you know, having having lost a game like that's got to be difficult. They're actually going with a different kicker this time uh, in this game because of the uh, the kicking mishaps that they had in overtime there. Those were actually, we're going to refer to those as the Ruggle struggles. The Ruggle struggles. I like it. I like it. There you go. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, you know, Sam Howell, he's tough to bet against right now. You know, he's the real deal. They've got a pretty solid running game. Javante Williams, Michael Carter, you know, defensively, it's where they've had the struggles, specifically in the secondary, just because they've had so many injuries back there. Um, Duke, though, just hasn't been very good in on no. offense, specifically starting with Quentin Harris. He just hasn't been great out of the pocket as a passer, only at 88 yards passing against UVA, you know, didn't play good against Pitt, so... You know, it's a little bit of an easier matchup for the Duke offense against the North Carolina D, but I like North Carolina to come out on top, get back in that win column, and uh, basically send Duke home after after this week. Totally agree. I mean, you've got a team who I think is certainly much better than their record in North Carolina. You've got a team in Duke who I think is much worse than their record. Um, you know, last year, Duke taking that game in the fashion that they did in such a tight game and a rivalry game that means a whole lot more in basketball, but certainly means something in football. You know, I see Mac uh, taking this extremely seriously. The players in North Carolina's team are going to take it even more seriously, uh, given their recent struggles as a football program, given what this rivalry means to that fan base. 
Um, and you just kind of have the feeling that North Carolina is going to take this one. But you then you look at how the talent matches up on the field, and, and North Carolina has much better playmaking ability at the skill positions. Quarterback play is better. Um, you don't see any way that Duke can really fight back into this one, especially as inconsistent as they've been. Uh, you know, give me North Carolina in this one. I think it'll be close just because you always kind of have the feeling that all rivalry games are going to be close. Um, but yeah, I, I'm going to go with uh, North Carolina in this one by, you know, a touchdown. Uh, Boston College at Clemson to round out the weekend. 7.30 ACC Network for everyone to see that has the ACC Network and is watching the first 15 minutes of this game. Clemson is a 34.5-point favorite. You know, the rush defense, Tim, is only 25th this year, which I say only. It's still a top 25, (laughs) uh, but not kind of what we've seen in years past. I do think Boston College could have some success on the ground with Dylan and Bailey. That being said, you've got a new quarterback in Dennis Grossell. Uh, most likely not going to have a repeat of what they did against NC State last week. Um, I do think Trevor Lawrence has been getting raked over the coals a little bit in the media. You know, It seems like right now everybody in the national media likes to focus on the negative with Clemson and not the positive. So. Right. If you ask somebody on the street how Trevor Lawrence performed last week, you'd probably get an answer, well, he threw two interceptions. Not that he had 235 yards and three touchdowns after those two interceptions. So, you know, he just needs to play a little bit more consistent, start kind of taking what the defense has given him, uh, just throw a little cliche in there. But that's essentially what he's doing. He's forcing too many throws. He's trying to make too many plays down the field. When he's got a little dump off past the Travis Etienne or, you know, a receiver um, that's that's out on the outside. So, you know, Etienne's been getting going a little bit. Um, I think Clemson rolls. Maybe they don't cover. 34.5 points is a lot, but I do think they win comfortably. Yeah, the 30.5 points, um, that's a lot, uh, period. If you're looking at the line now, which I'm looking at, says it's even, you know, at 34. Getting that against a struggling um, team is one thing, but getting against a struggling team that runs as well as Boston College does is not likely. I think Boston College obviously runs well enough to kind of hang around, um, although I do think what we saw them do to NC State said more about NC State than it did about Boston College. Uh, and like you, I think Trevor Lawrence is just going to be ready to you know put up a good performance. It's a good defense to do it against and kind of right the ship in his mind. Um, but yeah, Clemson's going to cruise in this and, you know, that's not necessarily surprising to anybody, but I don't think we're going to see any situation where this one's even remotely close heading into the second half. All right. Well, if that's all you have, Tim, that's our show for the day. So week nine in the ACC, I'm sure we'll be seeing a little bit more chaos in the coastal. Uh, at least let's hope we do. Cause I, you know, yeah. I, I love to keep it interesting. Um, special thanks once again to Michael Brewer. And, uh, again, we are Chowder and Grits, the podcast for ACC and Hokies football. You can listen to our show in a variety of ways. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, they seem to be the favorite. But anywhere you listen to a podcast, you will most likely be able to find Chowder and Grits. Type us in into Google. You can go to our website, chowderandgrits.com. Find us on Twitter, Chowder and Grits, or Facebook. You guessed it, Chowder and Grits. Tim, why don't you tell these fine people what they can do for us? Leave us some five-star reviews on whatever service you use to listen to us. Share our content and tell your friends about us. Uh, Get us more listens. We always like more listens, um, and we like interacting with you guys on Twitter, so keep that up. We love it. 
Um, you know, I hope you guys have a, a great weekend, obviously heading into some good games that we've highlighted for you. Um, you know, and, and look out for some peanut M&Ms, as, as Michael noted in the podcast. Those are the superior form of M&M. And I'll leave you guys, as always, with a go ACC, go Hokies, and stick it in, stick it in, stick it in. See you guys later.